praise the name of Jesus. As we read these scriptures here, the reason why I wanted to read and I wanted to look at these different prophecies here, God is speaking directly to the children of Israel during this time. And as we enter into this season of Christmas, it causes us to look at one of the greatest miracles that ever occurred. Can I get an amen on that? I don't, know, I don't know if you realize how many prophecies were declared. I don't know if you realize how improbable or impossible it was for Jesus to actually come into this earth the way that he did. But it, it, I don't believe, I mean, I, I don't know that it is, I mean, I don't know. Pastor Robert may know, some other pastor here may know. But I don't know of any other virgin who was with child and it wasn't a lie. I'm going to let that sink in for me. Let, me. let me say it again. I, I, don't, I don't know any other virgin who was with child and it was a lie. Hello. Meaning that she really wasn't a virgin. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know how this. Oh, yes, you do. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Nobody else could, could declare the things that Mary did. Those people couldn't even believe. They, 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 they couldn't even believe that this was true. I mean, realistically, we laugh when, you know, like 23 friends left. But, yo, that's real. I mean, that, that, that brings it into perspective. Oh, these people are talking crazy. And, you know, when you get real radical for Jesus, people start saying stuff like that. Oh, they're crazy. That should have encouraged somebody right there. Folks start talking about you, start getting radical. You want to live holy and righteous. You want to walk with God the way that the word of God declares. And suddenly folks that were cool with you are like, I don't know, man. This one's a little bit fanatic now. Hello. But we look at this time of Christmas and we look at all of these different things, these different prophecies that had to occur. When you look back, I mean, it is amazing how God preserved his lineage and brought it all to fruition. God is absolutely amazing. So when you look at this birth, it is definitely something that we should rejoice in. And one of the most encouraging things, as I read the scriptures here, is that we see the, the significance of these other prophecies surrounding this one and how God is speaking to the children of Israel about liberating them and removing their gloom and removing their distress and taking them and and raising them up. He speaks to them about removing the yoke of the enemy off of their shoulders. And he he talks about all of these things. And within these prophecies, we see something else that is encouraging. And it is that we get a glimpse, even in the Old Testament, of a God who is slow to anger, a God who is abounding in mercy, and a God who is everlasting in his love. When we see these things, and so why is that encouraging? Because in short, what it means is that God's judgments upon the earth are not forever. Amen, somebody. And so you may be going through difficult situations. You may be experiencing hardship due to, and I want to make that, I want to put this in perspective, because when the children of Israel went through everything that they went through, it was simply because they were disobedient to the written word of God. It was because they did not adhere to what the word of God spoke. Therefore, they experienced the judgments. They experienced the calamities. They experienced certain things that were prophesied to them and told to them, listen, if you don't follow the Lord, this is what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Why does that matter to us? Well, most of the time, now not all the time, most of the time, I say that with a lot of confidence, most of the time, the stuff we're experiencing that we experience in our lives that shouldn't be going that way, we can trace it back to disobeying the written word of God. Most of the time. There's other things. And you know what? And, and here's the thing. You know what? You're sitting in here. If you're going through some hardship and it's go, it doesn't go trace back to you disobeying the word of God, you know what? You just rejoice because you realize that God is just bringing you through something. Hallelujah. So you weren't offended. Amen. Amen. 
You know, folks get offended in church. You know that happens, right? People get offended. Glory to God. Especially when preachers are preaching, you say something like that. Oh, well, I, I, I didn't obey the I, I didn't disobey the word of God anywhere, and I'm going through all this hell. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're going through all of that because God's trying to show you what's in your heart. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Anyway, anyway, we'll, 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 we'll move on today. This is a Christmas focus. Glory to God. <laughs> By the way, the title of the message is His Name Shall Be Called. Christmas, Christmas, this time of the year, and I've spoken on this, I mean, if, if we call ourselves Christians and we're saying, you know, we're, we're proclaiming and declaring, I mean, we make sure that we have our nativity scene, you know, it's ready to go Christmas time. We want everyone to know that we love us some Jesus, amen, and Jesus is the reason for the season, amen, hallelujah, and so, okay, Christians, you get offended, folks start telling you happy holidays, you make it a point to say, no, Merry Christmas, Glory to God. Making a statement for Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? See, they got, they got a fender right there, Pastor Rob. When I said it, they're like, what, what, what's up, Bishop? Is wrong? Let's do that. Let, let, hold on a second. Listen to me. Let, 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 let. I, I want you to understand this. I am a firm believer we should say Merry Christmas. We shouldn't go to the Merry Xmas and, you know, Happy Holidays and all of that stuff. But you know what, man? I'm, I'm going to say this, and this is going to offend some other I'm just offending people today, but it's all right. I love you. I'm, I'm doing this in the name of the Lord. Look, I, I think, I, 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 and this is just my thought. My thought is that... You don't love Jesus more because you say happy holidays or Merry Christmas. Did you hear what I just said? Someone, someone can say happy holidays and love Jesus as much, if not more, than you. I know it was offensive. Now, let me, let, let, let me balance. I got to balance it out. I said, I walked to that side. I said, that statement. I balance it out over here. Glory to God. Now, as a Christian, I think that you should make sure that you do say Merry Christmas. Amen. You should why? Because you want to keep Christ in Christmas. You don't, you don't want to go with the flow. You got, you got to realize something now. Now, there are some things that occur within our daily situations and in our society where people want to say happy holidays because they don't want to offend people by, you know, saying the name of Christ in Christmas. Hello? So as a Christian, you should go on ahead and make sure that if, if, if it's in your ability, say Merry Christmas. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. My point is that we, you know, we, we go through some things, right? We, we experience some stuff. We, we have these situations in our life. We, you know, we're growing up, you know, as growing up as, as, as children and, you know, we see Christmas. I mean, I remember me as a child. I can tell you straight up, Jesus was not the reason for the season. We, 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 we had a nativity scene. I'm sure we did. We went to church. But Jesus was not the reason for the season for Christmas for me as a child, glory to God. You know what You know what Christmas was about? Christmas was about Christmas morning, waking up at the crack of dawn after my mother had to stay up late, 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 late because I wasn't going to sleep. Our bro- my brother said, we weren't going to sleep because we were trying to hear what they were saying. What we, it was like we couldn't wait for the next morning for the gifts. So my mom is up late, 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 wait until I fall asleep. Then I get up because, you know, I'm ready. I'm just jump up out of the bed. Come on, mom, wake up. Let's go. I, went, I didn't say, come on, mom, let's go have a worship service. That, 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 that isn't what I said. I said, come on, mom, get up. We got to go open the, we got to go open the presents. We get mad, mom and, you know, dad or whatever, laying up in the room sleeping. Come on, y'all, we got to open these gifts. So obviously, obviously, Jesus wasn't the reason for the season. And I thank God for my daughter. My daughter just doesn't get up early no matter what day of the year it is. <laughs> 
And my, my daughter goes with the flow, and I'll be like, babe, we want to sit down? Because I made it a point, and I'm not trying to be overly religious or anything like that, but I make it a point, and you can ask my wife. We sit down, when you know, praise God, you know, now I can play the piano a little bit, so, you know, if my daughter learned a Christmas song in her school thing on the piano, we'll sing that song together. We'll have a time of prayer before we open any gifts, because it is not about the gifts. It is about Jesus. And it will always be that way. But if my daughter was the type to get up early, we'd be having that devotion at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I give glory to God that I don't have to do that, you know, on that particular day. But the fact of the matter is, as, grow, as we're growing up, we go through situations and, you know, we really got to check ourselves. Is Jesus really the reason for the season? I mean, is he really the focal point of our day? Is it really about glorifying him and honoring him and, and bringing him praise and, and worship? Because that's what it is supposed to be for the Christians. It is supposed to be a day that we are supposed to focus on the birth of Christ. We're supposed to focus on what he's done. That's what, we, that, that's what we've made it. And, and I'm saying because when I, and, and if you want to go, you can go online and you can get the message that I preached probably like three years ago dealing with the origin of Christmas. And we can talk about all that stuff there and we can discuss that. I'm not going to go over that again. But there's different traditions and, you know, where it comes from. But as Christians, we said this is a day that's about Jesus. Let's make it about Jesus. That's my point. Amen. I'm not going to cut Christmas out of my calendar. I'm going to make it about him. Glory to God. We look at these prophecies here and we look at these situations that, that, that are, or, or these words that are spoken. We realize that there is a prophecy of a child being born. We realize that there is a prophecy of this child coming into this earth and this child is going to bring change. And one of the things that we got to realize is that Christmas time should be a time that is really focused on the hope that is there in Christ Jesus through the gift that he offers us through the sacrifice. And one thing that I believe is that you cannot leave Jesus in the manger because that is not where he stayed. He didn't stay there. So when we focus on Christmas, what was the purpose of that baby coming? As cute and as adorable as he may have been, that baby was sent here to be sacrificed for what? Our sins. Your sins, my sins. The baby was sent here. Jesus came to this earth to die in our place. But there is hope in that. It sounds sad, but there is rejoicing for us because we realize that through that sacrifice and that sacrifice alone, let me make it crystal clear, there is no other way to heaven but through that sacrifice. You can't give enough to get into heaven. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. You can't do enough good deeds to outdo all the bad ones. I, I, I know we want to work our way up there, but that's the reason the baby came. Hello, somebody. That's the reason that the manger scene occurred, because we needed a savior. We need one that is going to deliver us from our sins and set us free from the powers of darkness. When we look at these, at these prophecies, they're encouraging. They show us the heart of God, that he desires to bring us this peace. He desires to bring us this joy. And this is what I want to talk about. Remember the title of the message is, His Name Shall Be Called. And so what I want to say is that we can only know the full power of the name of our Lord when we call upon his name relative, relevantly, relationally, and righteously. When we call upon that, we're never going to know the power of that name unless we're calling upon that name in a way that is relevant. Relevant to what? Relevant to our situation and relevant to who he is. Because a lot of times we want to create a God that is manageable. Let me say it again. A lot of times we want to create a God. We want to create a deity. We name him Jesus. I don't want to hear this today. Christmas focus, right? Hallelujah. We want to create 
a deity. We want to create a deity. We name him Jesus, but we want him to be manageable. We want him to do everything we want him to do, right? Whenever we want him to do it, we want him to answer every one of our prayers with a yes, because we don't want to ever hear no, right? And, and, we, we, we got to throw the and in there. And we want to live however we want to live. Mm-hmm. All right. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. But when you call upon his name, you have to call upon his name in a, in, in, in a, in a relevant manner, in a manner that is true. You got to call on his name in a relational manner. We'll talk about that in a moment as well. You got to call on his name in a righteous manner. And so the first thing is, I want you to repeat this after me. Y'all have some questions today, by the way. And this is the first question you're going to ask me. What does it mean? See, I knew y'all had questions. See, everybody got a question up in here today. There you go. <laughs> what does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord relevantly? When you look at our Bibles and, and you'll notice something, there, there, is a, there is a pattern, a common thread, especially we find this in the Old Testament when we're seeing all of the different patriarchs and the different lives of different people that are being born, the prophets and things like that, kings and everything. And we find something that naming a child was a very important action. It was something that was vital. It was something that, 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 that the person, the parent, either thought about or like in the situation with Joseph. Remember, Joseph has a dream, right? When he has this dream, God's says, and you shall call his name. We're going to get to that scripture a little later on, but he says, you shall call his name Jesus. He was giving him the name. You see the same thing with John the Baptist. He's, his name was to be John. You see all of these. Last week when we were talking about prayer, you remember I talked about Solomon and God gave him a name, Jedediah, because God had a specific name for him. You remember Abraham? Well, before his name was Abraham, his name was Abram. There was a name change. God did that. Names meant something. And, the, and obviously it's not just cultural because I just gave you a bunch of examples of God speaking people's names. And so obviously, God cares. The New Testament in the, in the book of Revelation talks about us receiving a new name. Therefore, it shows us that God is interested in the naming of children throughout the scriptures. And we should be the same. And I just encourage you this. You don't have to do this. You know, for those of you that are having more children, you should really put some forethought and some prayer into what you name your child. That way you name your child in a prophetic manner that is speaking destiny and purpose into their life. And not just what you want, but what God wants. Because you may want something and God may want something else. But I encourage you to sincerely come before the Lord that you will speak into their life what God would have you to speak into their life. And so naming someone in Bible times was a prophetic behavior that marked the person named. It marked them. It was usually a name that showed their destiny or showed their purpose. It provided not only an identification but an identity. In other words, you were what your name was. You were what your name was. I believe it was, and, 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 and I may be incorrect on this, but I believe that it was when, um, Ray, 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 I think it was Rachel, was giving birth, Jacob's wife, Rachel, and she was giving birth to the last son, Benjamin. And when she gave birth to Benjamin, she cried. She's dying, and she yells at Benoni, curse the boy. Daddy comes in and is like, no, his name will be Benjamin, son of my right hand. Right? So she, she proclaims a curse. Daddy comes in and says, no, nope, my son is not going to be a curse all the days of his life, but he is going to be a blessing. Amen? 
He's going to be one that is going to do. And so naming a child was very important, very significant. And so it's important that we realize this because when we look at the scripture we just looked at in the book of Isaiah, we find that his name shall be called. Again, God is talking about the name. And so God is giving the, identif- the identity to our Savior. He's giving the identity to our, no- to our Lord. The name of our Savior, and this is awesome because most folks could be named in like one word, right? Our Savior couldn't be named in one word. Who he was going to be was going to be a much greater, a need, a much bigger definition, which needed more words in order to define. And I want to point this out. This is just one place of Scripture where there is a name given to him. There are many names that are attributed to him throughout the Scriptures, but they show us his authority. They show us his identity. They show us what he will do, what he won't do. They show us what he's committed to, what he's not committed to. They show us what he will be about and what he will not be about. That is what these names that are given to him. And so we We see here that God, through the prophet Isaiah, because we know all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, so God is speaking through Isaiah, and he gives him these four or five names, depending on how you look at it, to help us understand who and what our Savior would be. So when we're going to call upon his name in a relevant manner, we should call upon his name that relates to him, relates to what we're going through, relates to our situation, not just making up names making up stuff that that has nothing to do with him. No, he is going to be what the word of God says he's going to be. And so what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us this. It says that our Savior would obviously, verse 7 shows us this, of the increase of his government. And and, and in verse 6 it says, and the government will be upon his shoulders, showing us that he is going to be a governing ruler. So we know that he's going to be one that is in authority, that is going to be one that is going to be a king, and he would govern. And in his governing, in his government, there would be some things that would define who he is as a leader. You know, when you think about different leaders throughout history, there are certain characteristics that stand out about them. There are some leaders that are visionary. There are some leaders that are very articulate. There are some leaders that are good, you know, in making plans. There are different types of leaders. There are some leaders that are good at delegating, that you can just see this person, you know, they, they, they walk into an administration or into a situation and they enter in there they don't have a vision or anything like that they see the vision of a company they see the vision of a nation when they walk in they simply do this they embrace that vision and they put a plan together and they delegate it to people and people bring this thing to pass and it wasn't because this person was a great visionary it was because this person was able to plan and was able to put things together so different leaders have different things that mark them and so these are the things that are going to mark the savior that is being prophesied years and years before he ever comes about the first one is that he will be his name will be called wonderful wonderful just amazing and and, and the reason why I say four or five is because in in, in the new King James here you know they put a comma they put wonderful comma counselor okay well in other translations it just says wonderful counselor so if you want to call him wonderful he can be wonderful his name is wonderful glory to God hallelujah that's the truth Amen? amen but he's going to be wonderful so he is going to be glorious He's going to be amazing. He's going to be one that is going to strike awe in our hearts. Wonderful. Then the next one is he's going to be a counselor. It's awesome because Jesus, when he walks on this earth, you watch him. Read, 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 read the Gospels. Read through there. Watch the conversations that Jesus has. You'll find that Jesus is coming at these folks in parables. He's communicating to them in ways that some people are like, Jesus, what did you mean by that? Because he was just so deep, right? He had some stuff, and he obviously says, I'm communicating to you, and the the kingdom has been given to you, and so I'm going to explain these things to you. But then you're going to find something else. You'll find that all of these lawyers, these people that couldn't stand Jesus, all the haters, 
right? Here's what they would do. Listen, go ask him this question. We're going to trip him up in this one here. So they go to him and they ask him a question. Talk to him about, you know, John the Baptist. Or he would respond to them with a question. They come to him and say, hey, Jesus, by what authority do you do this? By what authority? Who, who, who are you doing this for? And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to ask you a question. You answer my question, I'll answer your question. The baptism of John, was it of God or was it of men? So these guys are like, man, we came to trip him up. They go back, have their little huddle. Listen, if we say it's of men, these people are going to stone us. If we say it's of God, they're going to reject us. So we can't even answer him. We don't know. Neither will I answer you. Hello, somebody. Case closed. That's the G. Wonderful counselor. You come to him, they come with a, a woman caught in adultery. What happens? Look, they come to him with a woman caught in adultery, bring her out there. Notice they only brought the woman. They didn't bring the man. Make no sense to me. How was she caught in the act and she was the only one that God brought? For, uh-huh. Anyway, another preaching, Christmas focus, Jesus' wisdom, right? Over there, listen, she was caught in the act of adultery. The law says to stone her. What do you say? Jesus is like, hold up, man. I'm writing something in the sand here. Chill. Goes down, is writing in the sand. They're like, come on, man, answer us. We got you this time. He who has no sin, cast the first stone. You're interrupting me. <laughs> Goes back to writing in the sand. Finishes writing whatever he's writing. Stands up. Where are your accusers? None. Neither do I. Go sin no more. Because I know folk want to forget that part. They think Jesus just like went like this to her and she was good to go. No. Jesus said, no one, no one, no one's accusing you. I don't accuse you either. Go sin no more. Because next time, you know, you might get stoned. I may not be here to save you. Hello. Wonderful counselor. What does that mean for us? What, 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 what does that mean for us? That means that, you know what the Bible tells in the book of James? It tells us that we can come to him if we need wisdom and ask. Do you understand that, the, that, that Jesus told his disciples, he said, it will be better for you when I go because then my father can send the counselor. Hear me now. God didn't stop speaking to us when Jesus ascended into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit so what? So we could still experience the same benefit that his disciples and all of those people who walked on earth with him, that we would be able to experience that now, that we could experience the comfort and the counsel that comes from Almighty God. And so the Bible says that his name will be called Wonderful and Counselor. So this is part of his name. This is part of his authority. He wants to give us direction. He wants to give us guidance. The next part of the name that he's given, it says his name shall be called Mighty God. So you know what that means? That means that when God gives you some crazy sounding counsel, and what I mean by crazy is I mean something that seems absolutely impossible for you to accomplish, he is able to accomplish it in you because he is El Gabor, which is what that name is there. He is God. He is the mighty one. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Therefore, he says, if I am wonderful, you stand in 
awe of me and I'm giving you counsel. You're listening to me. I am also the one that is beside you, working in you and wanting to work through you to accomplish all of my will and all of my purpose because my name is Mighty God. He is the Almighty. He's the all, There is nothing impossible for him. I love the next name because the next name, you know, some folks get a little confused over. You know, Everlasting Father. Wait a second. Father, Son, how can he be Father? Better translation of that word is Father of Eternity. Father of Eternity. Father of Eternity. What does that mean? That means he's the author. That means that he was before anything else was. That means that he's the one who holds eternity in his hand. He is the one who can save you and keep you for what? Eternity. That's what this means. So he is, he's demonstrating his ability to give us counsel, his ability to strengthen us, his ability to have us to stand in awe of him. He is demonstrating to us that he is the father of eternity. Before anything was created, Jesus was. Before anything was there, he was. He is the author and the finisher of our faith according to the word of God. So his name shall be called all of these things. And the last one, I think that we all know this one. We've heard a lot about it this year. And it is the Prince of Peace. As Paul says, he is not just the Prince of Peace, but he is also our peace. He is our peace. When we think about that peace, what do we think? We think about, oh, I'm going through hardship. I need peace in my life. That is one kind of peace. But I want you to know that there is a peace that is greater than that type of peace. There is a peace that is beyond that that we all need. We all need, and you got to get this in your spirit, not just for you, but also because some of you may already have this. But you know what? For those who don't know Jesus, there is a reality. There is no peace between God and a sinner. Did you hear what I just said? There is no peace. We, 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 we see this illustration in, in, in becoming a contagious Christian. It says clearly that a sinner, that me before I know God, is over here. There is a gap between me and God. God is over here, holy and righteous. Amen? Amen. There is no peace between me and God as long as I am separated from him. And so I have a choice to make when I'm over here. When I am in this area over here, I have a choice to make. Do I want peace with him or do I want to continue to walk how I'm walking? Do I want to try to figure it out my own way? Do I want to try to earn? Y'all remember the bridge illustration for those of you that have gone through the class? Remember all of those good works? Where do they go? <laughs> they, 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 they don't make it across. They, 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 they don't become a bridge to get to God. Amen? All of the good stuff we try to do. Going to church. Where well, I go to church every Sunday. That doesn't make you a Christian. You stand in your garage, too, and that didn't make you a car, right? I know y'all heard that one before. Standing in, the garage, standing in the garage doesn't make you a car. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Hello, somebody. I mean, seriously. Because when we think about the Prince of Peace, what we are saying, we are saying that, listen, we were at a place where we were separated totally from God, at enmity with him. There was, there, there's an animosity there because we are not holy. He is holy. And here's the thing, is he loves us so much that he sends his son to this earth to do what? To die in our place so we can have what? So we can have the bridge, right? Jesus, not me, I'm not the bridge. Jesus is the bridge. So we can have this bridge so I can get from here to there. Because what? Because God wants to love on me. Hear me. Prince of Peace, so what does he do? He comes to this earth, he bears, our, he, he bears our sins, he goes to this sacrifice, he experiences the wrath of God for what? 
So that way we can come across that bridge of the cross and the life of Christ and be connected to the Father in relationship. So he does give us peace in the midst of our storm. But the greatest peace that we need is the peace between me and God. And if you're in here today and you don't have peace with God, I don't care if you feel peaceful. That's not my question. Because there's another saying that I heard that I thought was pretty amazing. He said, those who are the closest to God feel the furthest from him. Those who are the furthest from him feel the closest to him. In other words, what happens is those who are the furthest from him, they don't understand his holiness. They don't understand his righteousness. They don't understand his standards, nor do they really care about them, right? So you know what? They feel like, I'm good. I'm a good person by my own standards. But the ones who are drawing close to him, this is what happens. As we draw close to him, as we get close, you know, we, we get to get a revelation of how strong he is. I'll give you, I'll give you a picture, kind of, kind of give you an example to understand what happens. You know, if, if I'm sitting here, if I'm standing, you know, this is not, not far enough, but let's say I'm standing like down, way down the block, right? And I see this figure down the street. I can't tell how big, how small, whatever the case may be. And let's say someone said to me, we're just, we're just going to play, play a game here, right? Someone said, hey, man, this dude, he wants to meet you. He's got an issue with you. Okay, I'll meet him, whatever, because, you know, I'm bishop, right? I'm whatever. I don't have any problem, right? God's on my side. I'm good, right? We can talk about it. Glory to God. So he's coming down the street right there. So as I'm looking, you know, I can only see so far. I can't really put a, you know, how big this person is, anything like that. The closer that person comes to me, the clearer the picture of him becomes. And let's say this is some dude that's like 6'3", like 295 pounds of just muscle, just diesel, right? As I'm getting closer, I'm, I got to make him big. I, I know that. That's what I'm saying because it got to be big to make me intimidated, glory to God. <laughs> I couldn't say like 5'11 to be like, Bishop, you didn't know. Listen, listen. I mean, I'm just saying, just someone big, right? Now, as I'm walking down here, I'm all confident. Yeah, yeah, what, whatever, you know, what's up, yo? As I'm getting close, I'm starting to think, okay, should I call Pastor Robert up right now? I might need a little bit of help as I'm getting close. I, I might need to call Pastor Chad, glory to God. I, I, I may need to get Jimmy up in here, you know. So the point is, here, here's what happens. The closer I get to that person, the more clear I understand how big that person is. You getting the picture here? It's the same thing with God. The closer I get to him, the greater I understand his holiness. The greater I understand his power. The greater I understand who he is. The greater I understand his standards. Therefore, I'm like, whoa, I'm nowhere near those standards. I can't hang with that on my own. So that's the reason why the people who are the furthest from God feel the closest. And the ones who are the closest feel the furthest. It's not because you walk in condemnation when you're close. It's just because you understand he is holy and your righteousness is filthy rags before him. His name, his name. Second question that you have for me today, please repeat it. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? Relationally. The name of Jesus, hear me now, should not be viewed as some good luck charm that guarantees a yes response from the Father. See, some of us think, I just say the name of Jesus and everything is all good. 
That's what the seven sons of Sceva thought too. And they left the house of the Lord butt naked and embarrassed because they didn't know Jesus. But they used his name with all authority. Come out in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches. Mm-hmm. Great authority. I don't know who he is, but I've seen what he can do. Listen, God doesn't want you to just see what he can do. He wants you to experience what he can do. He wants you to know it firsthand, not secondhand. He wants you to know his power. When you look at the Old Testament, you find a similar situation. You remember the children of Israel? They had this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. You remember that? That was a thing that the, that the, that the um, Levites used to hold on their shoulders, and they would walk, and everywhere they would go, when, when, when the glory of God came down, they wouldn't move. You remember that whole story there, right? Well, you remember when the children of Israel, I believe it was in the book of 1 Samuel, remember they were fighting against the, against the Philistines. They were getting, you know, beat and all that good stuff, and so God was upset with them. You remember what happened in that story? The children of Israel said, you know what it is? We need the ark with us. We need to go, we, we need to go get our good luck charm. Right? Remember that story? Yeah, 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 just, just read it, 1 Samuel. We, we, we need our good. They didn't say good luck charm. You're not going to find that. Don't look for that one. But, they, but you're going to see it in principle. They said, we need to get our, our good luck charm. So they went back. They got, the, they got the ark. Listen, they got so excited. I mean, the earth was shaking. They were yelling so loud. Understand this. They were stirred up to the degree the Philistines heard them, and they got scared. They were like, oh, my Lord, their God has walked in among them. You know what the story says? One of their generals in the Philistine army said, listen, man, don't be afraid. Man up. Go fight them. And I'm just giving you a paraphrase on that right there. You're not going to find man up. You might find I don't know. I don't think it's man up, but that's what the general was, would have said today, right? Man up, right? Get up. Go fight. You know what they did? They went and fought Israel and took the ark from them. Took their good luck charm. It's like you have that little rabbit's foot, right? To beat you, oh, I got my rabbit's foot in my pocket. You know, you're going to get into a fight in the, in, in the playground somewhere. Got your rabbit's foot in your pocket. We like, show it to the person. I got my, it's going to be on today. Uh-huh, you get beat up, take your rabbit's foot and run with it. Be like, whatever. Now it's my good luck charm. That's what they did to, to the children of Israel. But you know what? We treat the name of Jesus the same way. We're not committed to, to, to the Jesus that the word of God shows us, but we say his name, we want everything to get better. We want everything to get right, but we don't want to get right. When we look at the name of Jesus, it should be acknowledged as the name above all names, and we should be living in constant reverence of the Savior whose name it is. We shouldn't just be calling on that name just because we're going through something. I got to go. I'm not telling you not to pray to God. What I am telling you is walk in a relationship with him. It's not just about knowing a name. It's not just about knowing what some scriptures say. It's not about that alone. It is about walking with him. When you call on his name, it has to be relational. It has to be based on a relationship. Arbitrarily calling upon the name of the Lord is dishonorable to him. You just call on his name just like nothing. And what we need to do is we need to have a relationship with God to make calling upon his name real. The most important principle that I hope that you get as I'm speaking on prayer is that prayer, the basis of prayer is relationship. It's not about length of time in prayer. It's not about how many scriptures you quote in prayer. All of those things are good. But if you don't have a relationship with him, it is for not. Hear me. 
a relationship that is based on, remember the bridge illustration, the cross there? Based on that, you have to have a relationship. I have to have a relationship with him in order to truly see the full power of his name. So we got to call on his name in a relevant way. We've got to call on his name in a relational way. And the third thing, this is your third question that you had for me. What does it mean? To call upon the name of the Lord righteously. When we call upon the name of the Lord in a righteous manner, it means using the name of the Lord righteously. It means that when we come to God or when we use his name, we use it when and where it belongs. Did you hear me? We use it when and where it belongs. And most importantly, we need to consider, does it fit here? What do you mean, Bishop? Well, first of all, we do know that God's last name is not damn, right? Some Christians don't know that. They, 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 they do something and, oh, God, mm-hmm. That's not his last name. Hmm. Middle name is not a part of his name. Hear me. So does his name fit there? How about this? Because, you know, a lot of times we don't, we don't, we don't use the GD word, right? I had one pastor friend. He actually told me he walked around a service when he was talking about using the Lord's name in vain, and he kept saying that the whole service. I just can't bring myself to it. But anyway, calm down. I'm just a little religious, right? Okay. Anyhow. We, don't, we, 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 we may not use that word, right? But what about when something happens, we just go, oh, Jesus. Something, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what about that? Is that not the same? You're not, call, you're, you're not calling on his name. How about we just say, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you call on his name for? Is that, is that the right way to use his name? Because you're frustrated and you're going through whatever you're going through emotionally, and so now you got to bring him into the picture. Listen to me. Is that is that the? I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm asking a question. Let me can, can we, let's can we do a survey real quick? All right. If you think that that's the right way to use his name, raise your hand up, please. I thought someone was gonna raise their hand. So if you think that's the wrong way, Charlie just raised it. I'm just joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> he put his arm around his ear. I'm just messing. I'm messing, man. You're good. You're good. <laughs> okay, so if you, I'm, I'm going to just do it like this. If you think that that's probably the wrong way to use it, raise your hand. All right. Praise the Lord. Good. If you're not sure, raise your hand. Good. We all sure. Glory to God. Praise God. I know there's some people that are not sure. They're just like, I'm going to see if someone else is unsure before I <laughs> Listen to me. If you're not sure, don't do it. If it's not done in faith, it's sin. Is that not what the Bible says? So if there's any question, don't do it. But here's the thing that I think is probably what, 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 what gets me the most. And especially, and, and, and I love my Christian brothers. Y'all have been highly offended today. I know I can feel the offense radar. It's like just way up there today. But us, but us as Christians in our Christian circles, right, we love to use the name of the Lord to get people to do what we want. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Listen, you have, you have plenty of folks saying, thus says the Lord, thus said, no, uh-uh. That's thus says you trying to say the Lord said it. Hoping God will, God will have your back. Hello, somebody. Listen now. 
We're talking about calling upon the name of the Lord and seeing his power. See, because when God says something, right, when he communi- when it is God speaking, he's going to take care of the rest. You don't have to manipulate folks by his name. You, know, you, you, you don't have to do it that way. You simply communicate what the word of God says and let the word of God be what the word of God's going to be. Amen. So when we talk about calling on the name of the Lord, we need to make sure that it fits, that it belongs, because we use it the wrong way then what ends up happening is we end up hurting people rather than helping them. But even more importantly for you, you become a false witness. Did you hear me? Okay. Using his name righteously. I I want you to understand a little bit deeper, too, about what it means to use the name of the Lord in vain when when, when Moses is writing this. He's not just talking. Obviously, I, I I don't know that there was anybody back in those days. I want you to realize this. These people, they really revered at least the name of God, okay? They, they, they were seriously religious when it came to stuff like that. So I don't think that they have the same problem that we have today that everyone uses that GD word. I don't think that that's the issue. But when the Bible is talking about using the name in vain, this is what it is communicating. It is saying using the name of the Lord in vain means to make vows in his name and not to fulfill them. You know how you, you, know, you when you were kids, I, I don't know about you, I know about me. Oh, I swear to God, Right? I swear to God I'm going to do this, Mom. Jesus, I was a false witness. Yeah? Mom, I swear, I swear. Okay, don't swear by heaven or no. You don't even need to do that as a Christian. Amen? But the fact of the matter is we do that. Or when someone is asking us something, right, and we want to prove to them that we're telling the truth, I swear to God, this is the truth. Y'all remember that? I was the only one that did that. I guess it's only me. Glory to God. I'll go get it. It me. I get delivered from that. Hallelujah. I don't, even, I don't even make promises nowadays. You can ask my wife and my daughter. They're always trying to make me make promises. I'm like, I don't make promises. I let my yes be yes, my no be no. And in case the yes doesn't become a yes, I apologize. Because, you know, folks, they hold promises over your head. They'll be like, oh, you made a promise. Hold on, hold on a second. Hold on a second. <laughs> Listen, I believe firmly. I preach this and I believe this. If your yes is yes, it's yes. You don't, you, don't, you don't need to be a person that makes promises and pinky promises and blood promises and all kind of spit promises and promising all over the place in order to do so. Listen, let your yes be yes. Do it. Get it done. Hello. But here's what happens is this is when you use the name of the Lord in vain. When you are making vows in his name and not complying with them, that is wrong. When you are saying things that you're going to do in the name of the Lord and you don't do them, that is wrong. That is using his name in vain. Here is what it's about. It means using his name, listen now, to increase your credibility while failing to represent him in a credible manner. I'm going to read that to you again. It means using his name to increase your credibility. In other words, I'm a Christian. You ever, you, you ever had a situation where you see somebody's, you know, they got a little fish on their, on their business card or something like that, and then you deal with them, and they're like, that was a Christian? You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I don't have an issue with that. I, you know, I, I don't have an issue with any of that stuff. I want to try to, you know, help Christian owners and all that good stuff for businesses. I want to do that. But here's the issue, y'all, is that if you're going to put a fish showing everybody you're a Christian because what you're trying to do is increase your credibility among Christians... Did you hear what I just said? You're trying to make sure Christians know, hey, I'm the better option because I'm a Christian. 
Because what you're trying to communicate, right, is I'm the better option for two reasons. Number one, I can do the job with an integrity and with a right way and all that is good stuff. The other reason why is because you're benefiting the kingdom because I'm a tither. Hello? Listen, I, I, and, and, and I only say that from experience. When you deal with most of these companies, what do they communicate? 10% of our profits go where? To the church. So they're saying that they do that. Nothing wrong with that stuff. The, the issue comes in when you don't do business in an integral manner. Because what you did was you used his name to increase your credibility, but you didn't represent him right. You didn't because you know what? It, yeah, it makes your company look bad, but at the end of the day, you know what people start doing? Oh, man, I see these Christians, all these Christians, Christian businesses. These people are this. These people are that. Why? Because we're not representing right. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. So when we go on ahead and we call ourselves a Christian, you need to live up to that name. Amen, somebody? Because it is a direct representation and reflection of who God is. We have, you and I, have been given the amazing privilege of representing the name of the Lord before all of creation. Our lives will either reflect or deflect the power of his name. Bottom line. It will either show a reflection of the power of his name or will deflect it and say, yep, that power is not here. That power is not in my life because that power is not operating in me. It's going to be one or the other. And so I'm getting ready to close right now. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew. Chapter 1. The book of Matthew chapter 1. And we saw this enacted in our video. But we're going to read it together. The book of Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. And verse 20 says, But while he thought about these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take, to take you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And verse 21, and, he, and, she, and, and, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. There's no other name by which men can be saved. One name, that's Jesus. No other name. No other name will do it. One name. And when I look at the Christmas story and I look at the whole, all of the prophecies and I look at all of these things together, what I realize is something. I realize that this right here sums it all up best. His name shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what it's about. It's about Jesus saving people from their sins. It's about Jesus liberating our lives. There's only two people, there's only two types of people in this place right now. Those are the ones who have been saved from their sins and those are the ones and, and they are the ones who have not been saved from their sins. 
They're the ones who are living their life the way that they want to live, and you are not saved from your sins. And there are those who are walking with God as imperfect as you may be, and you are one that is walking in a sincerity with him. And so the question is, two types of people walked in here. If we respond to God, one type of people will walk out of here. If everybody responds to him. So that becomes the ultimate question. Have you been saved from your sins? That's what Christmas is really about. Have you received that gift? Have you been saved from your sins? If you've been saved from your sins, you're already praying. If you've been saved from your sins, you're already praying for somebody who hasn't been saved from their sins. But the reality is today as we focus upon Christmas, today can be that day that you walk out of here a totally different person. It's by simply acknowledging God is holy, you're not. Realizing that he sent his son to die in your place so that way you could be saved. That's what it's about. Hallelujah. Let's all stand to our feet. Bow our heads, please.